you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. series through the gospel of John. We've been here for quite a while. Uh, we're enjoying ourselves though, right? Good. Um, and so, uh, we're going to just continue on in this. Uh, the the reality is, uh, we started a conversation last week that I just kind of want to pick up and continue. Last week I mentioned that if I had it my way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have shared what I shared last week in sermon form. I much would have preferred to just be able to sit down maybe over a cup of coffee or another beverage, and uh, talk to you uh, about what we what we talked about last week in in dealing with some of these issues of of, of whether or not what the church really needs is to be more spiritual or more biblical. And uh, we we saw last week that really neither of those are what the church needs. The church needs something far greater. And uh, as as I as I've been thinking about this and pondering this and. And sort of mulling over this uh, continually, what, what I've realized is what, what I think all of us are sort of after is, is kind of a, a, a functional pragmatism when it comes to our spirituality. We, we want it to work, right? We, we, we want whatever we believe, whatever we're practicing, whatever spiritual disciplines that are in our life, whatever, whatever spiritual religious beliefs we hold to, we, we want it to be effective, and I think both of those camps, the, the, what we called last week the, the supernatural superstition and the dogmatic fundamentalism, both of those camps are sort of born out of a, a good heart to try to find a way to make spirituality and religion functional. One of them focuses on experientialism, the other one focuses on intellectualism, but regardless, uh, they're both after those things. And, and what we saw last week, uh, where we landed and kind of where I want to pick up this week, is that Jesus demonstrates an efficacy produced by a security received through an identity born out of intimacy. That, that Jesus actually shows us a whole other way that Jesus says, no, it's not about either or in these two camps that you guys are, 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 are sort of hoarding yourselves into. No, he invites us into an intimacy that becomes the key to all of these things. And so if you've got your Bible, let's go to John chapter 5. We're going to read this account that we've read the past few weeks. I do want to go a little further into Jesus' response this week. So John chapter 5, verse 1. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. We love the Bible, amen? We love the Bible. John chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read some Bible today. All right, this is John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Everybody say Bethesda. Bethesda, that's a good name. Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay multitudes of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him laying there and he knew that he had already been there a long time. See, I told you it was a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? 
The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that Jesus, that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. This is where we got our call last week. Jesus calling us to intimacy, because what does he say? He says, my father is working until now, and I am working continue reading past where we left off last week. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Let's pray together, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you that you have, have, have spoken to us in your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that your presence is here with us. We thank you that we are not left to decide whether we, we, should, we should engage with your word or encounter your presence, but we are blessed to be able to be invited in to do both. And so God, that's what we come for this morning. We wanna hear your word. We wanna hear it opened up and read and expounded upon and taught and we wanna receive that word. And at the same time, God, we wanna encounter you in your presence that is here to meet with us, to transform us, to change us. And we ask that as those things commingle and happen together, God, that our, our, our hearts would be open and receptive to that which it is you would speak to us so that you might transform us, God, not just through external pressure or through conforming to some cultural expectation, but rather, God, we would encounter you and we would be transformed to look a little more like you today than we did yesterday. That we can walk in obedience to what it is that you say, that we can respond in joy and rejoicing to your goodness in our lives and that you might be glorified and the world might know the good that comes from following you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. High five a few people and grab a seat.
If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, um, I'm going to talk to you under the title this morning, Root and Fruit. Root and Fruit, and that'll become clear as we move on. But, but just, just as, as, as by way of, of reminder, by way of uh, review, I want to remind us of the, of the camps that we saw last week. We looked at just two camps that are primarily in the text. Um, we looked at the supernatural superstition, and uh, then we also looked at the dogmatic fundamentalist. Uh, which I pointed out last week is far more mental and far less fun. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but I, I want to just, th- those are the two in the text we, we saw that we sort of used the, the man and his sort of misunderstanding of the way that healing worked. Um, again, I don't have time to re-preach all of last week's or the previous week's message. There's some things in this text that are unique um, that you can go back a couple weeks and look. We, we did some looking at textual criticism and, and analyzing uh, biblical texts, and you'll notice there's a, there's a verse missing, quote-unquote, from your Bible um, because there was, there was an insertion later on explaining this man's uh, statement about there's no one to carry me down into the water. It's because there was a cultural belief at that time that the bubbling that would occasionally happen in the water was actually an angel coming down, stirring up the water, and they believed that the way God worked was whoever got there first wins, and God would heal them because that's the way God works. No, come on, are you awake? No, that's not the way God works. God, God, God rarely, if ever, in Scripture, honors the strongest, meanest first. In fact, one of my favorite things about God is that he sets up this, this system where the firstborn gets double blessing, and then yet we constantly see throughout Scripture that actually he bypasses that and ends up honoring the second because their heart is after him. So, so this man had a, a misunderstanding, and he was sort of a, a supernatural superstition. He was hoping to perfect an experience and that that would fix his problem. If I could just have the right experience, then my problems will go away. We contrasted that with the, the dogmatic fundamentalists in, in the Jewish people here demanding that this man follow rules that were set up by them that they claimed were set up by God. But I think there's, there's another camp that I think we deal with today that, that is in the text, but it's underneath all of it in the text, and that's just the straight humanist. And just to, just to try to give us an understanding of this, let me try to frame this in thinking about the missions team that we just sent. The, the, if, if the humanist was thinking about this trip, they would say, why, why, I, I have to travel to a place that I don't want to go and eat food that I don't like and, and, and meet people that I don't speak their language and tell them a message they don't want to hear about a God that they don't want to know about to go to a heaven that's probably not real. Say, now, the, 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 really, the whole goal that you're trying to do is just colonialism, and, and, and really, you shouldn't try to do missions, and you shouldn't try to do evangelism, because it's just mean, and you're imposing your culture upon other people. That's the humanistic perspective. Supernatural superstitious person, if they were talking about missions, they would go, well, if I do it just right, and if I, if I pray in just the right way, for just the right amount of time and I fast just long enough, then there'll be such power and such authority and such amazingness on me that everyone will just be in awe of my awesomeness and they'll fall on their knees and repent because I'm awesome. And really the perfect experience would be the goal there. The dogmatic fundamentalist, the religious person would say, no, we, we do this because the rules tell us we need to do it. Love it or hate it, we go on missions trips because that's the good, right thing to do. The principles say that that's what we do, and the whole goal is follow the principles. Following the rules, that's what's important. But Jesus shows us a whole other way. 
Jesus says everything is born of intimacy. He says that, no, my goal is to remain in unbroken fellowship with the Father in the Son by the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. So if God is working, I'm working. If God is going, I'm going. If God is loving, I am loving. If he's, if he's sharing a message, I'm sharing a message. If he's feeding people, I'm feeding people. I, I, I'm doing it because I'm going to do whatever I need to do to stay in unbroken, abiding fellowship with him. That's my goal. It's not about following rules. It's not about achieving some experience. It's simply about being intimate with the Father. So Jesus calls us out of dogmatic fundamentalism, away from supernatural superstition, and beyond mere humanism. We need to see this. This this is what Jesus is doing And I think the whole reason that Jesus uh, heals this man and sets up this, uh, this encounter, this conflict between he and the religious leaders of his day is so that we can understand this simple principle. Jesus invites us into uncommon, uncomfortable, radical, scandalous intimacy. Jesus is inviting us to to move away from 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 our, our little camps, from our little from our little segregated, separated idealisms, and to 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 press into simple intimacy with the Father. See, I think the man is right in what he says. This 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 this. Invalid man, this, this we think cripple based upon the story, this man who didn't, didn't have the ability to go. What, what does he say his real problem is? I don't have anybody. He's right. <laughs> That's his problem. He's separated. He's isolated. But his answer cannot come from a human helping him engage in some spiritual mysticism. He needs divine intervention, amen? And so Jesus invites us into that kind of experience. What I want us to see is that intimacy with the Father looks like Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Intimacy with the Father looks like Jesus. I say God is inviting us into radical, scandalous intimacy, and, and some of you sort of back up. I'm here to tell you that it looks like what Jesus shows us Jesus reveals to us what intimacy looked like. He's the perfect demonstration, the perfect image of God and the perfect image for us of what it looks like to be intimate with the Father. He says, whatever the Father does, I just do that. That's that's what we're talking about. I know, I know, listen, I know, we want it to be way more complicated than that because when it's complicated, I have an excuse not to do it. It's like putting together Ikea furniture. It ain't never gonna happen. I'm going to buy it, but I'm not going to put it together. And if I try to, I'm going to lose my salvation. Okay, it's, 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 no, he, it's not complicated. It's simply doing what the Father does. What I find so fascinating about this is, is if, if, you, if you understand theologically, Jesus is God. Okay, good. You guys figured out where to say amen. Okay, so that means he is, he is co-equal with the Father. And yet, he submits to the Father. 
And yet he says, my goal is simply to be obedient to whatever he's doing, to be a with him in whatever he's doing, to be along with him in all that he is doing. He's demonstrating to us what sons do. So Jesus steps into this man's, in, in, this man's story. And we see from the beginning that intimacy with God looks different than we expect it to look. Because Jesus steps in with a question and with a command. He steps into this man's story not to, listen, I, I, I want to be careful here. He steps into the man's story. He's with him in his suffering. He, he's moved by the man's suffering. We, we saw this a few weeks ago, right? He sees that he's been suffering for a long time, and that is the, the apparent motivation that causes Jesus to draw near to the man. And yet at the same time, he does not do that just simply to sit with the man and wallow in self-pity. He's not there just to go like, yeah, man, your life is really, really miserable. This stinks. No, he steps in with a question and with a command. The question is designed to expose the condition of the man's heart. Jesus will ask you questions that will offend you out of your bondage. Let's say that again. Jesus will ask you questions that will offend you out of your bondage. If you just look at the story from of just, just face value, get the, get the story off the flannel graph. It's not a veggie tale. It's a real, actual story. Here's how this rolls out. The guy is in a place full of sick people that are only there because it's a place for sick people. Jesus knows that the man has been there in pain and suffering for 38 years, and the First thing out of Jesus' mouth is, why are you still laying there? Don't you want to get healed? <laughs> he is a really mean conservative Republican, right? Like, don't you want to get help? Or don't you want to get better? You should just be better. You should get up and get a job or something. And the man's like, I, I, you, the man is, finds Jesus' question so odd that he feels like he has to explain to Jesus who he would at least have recognized, if he didn't recognize him as the son of God, which certainly he did not, he would have at least recognized him based upon his clothes as a rabbi, as a teacher of the law, as a teacher and an instructor of people, as a religious leader. And this guy finds Jesus' question so odd, so, if I can say it, offensive, that he feels like he has to explain to this guy how the system works. It's like, dude, you not get it? They're, like the water gets stirred up, but you gotta get there first and like, None of it works, so I can't get down there. I don't have money for front row seats, so I, I'm, I'm in the cheap seats, and by the time I get down there, you know, army crawling or what, however he did it, he's like, it's done, it's over. Somebody else got it. Jesus has this way of, of, of asking you questions that expose the condition of your heart. I think what Jesus is really saying, if, I can, if you'll give me a little bit of leeway, a little bit of paraphrase, I think what Jesus is saying is, are you done? Are you done? Are, 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 you, are you done with this? Are you, are you finished with this? Have you, have you come to the end of this whole road for you? Have you realized that, that if you could perfect the encounter and, 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 and perfect the experience, you would have probably done it already? If it would have worked, if it worked, it would have worked by now. Are you done? 
Are you ready to, to leave this place, to leave this system, to leave this mindset, to leave this, this mat that is holding you to the ground? Are you prepared to bear the responsibility to carry what used to hold you down? And a command, he then commands him, and the command imparts a capacity previously impossible. I love the way Jesus does this, because even this, if, if, if Jesus is not God, this is the meanest thing anyone could ever do. Hey, don't you want to be healed? I, I can't. The system doesn't work this way, and I'm, I'm, I, it doesn't work. Well, you should just get up and pick up your mat and walk. The guy literally just told Jesus he couldn't walk. And what does Jesus tell him to do? Not only walk, but carry stuff. <laughs> he, Jesus is mean. But you see, when Jesus brings a command, the command by its very nature imparts an ability to do what was previously impossible. Make no mistake, before Jesus said these words, it was impossible for this man to get up, rise, walk, and take up his bed. It was impossible. But once Jesus spoke, come on, somebody. See, that's how God works. He always asks us to do the impossible. I love it. God will never ask you to do something beyond yourself. God will always ask you to do everything beyond yourself. Always, be holy as I am holy. Nope. <laughs> me, in and of me, by myself, in my own power, in my own strength, before that commandment comes, impossible. Post that commandment, it is not only possible, it is the only probable outcome. Because in his words comes the power to actually facilitate the obedience to the commandment. You see, this is how God works. He always asks us to do the impossible because then we are required to remain in abiding relationship with him because what he's really after is intimacy, not obedience. He's after intimacy with you, not trying to get you to obey his rules. You see, we get this backwards. We say, oh, no, no, we, we, we have to be obedient so we can stay in intimacy. No, the only way you can be in obedience is to stay in intimacy. You can't do what God has asked you to do apart from relationship with him, and that's by design so that you remain constantly in relationship with him because what he's really after, come on, is intimacy. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to abide with him, to rest in him, to know him. Intimacy is, is to, to impart, to, to create within us a newness of life. And I, I, I want to make sure I'm not getting beyond PG-13, so just roll with me here for a second. That's the purpose of intimacy, is reproduction. The purpose of our intimacy with God is, is to create within us a new life inside of us that was not there previously. If your intimacy with God just makes you feel good, you're missing the whole point. 
Look, I'm, I'm really glad that as we worship, as we encounter God, as we, as we meet with him, that there is an emotional, uh, experiential component to that. I like that. I very much like that. But that's not the goal. The goal is not the, the emotional experience. The goal is that his life would become life inside of me. That it can impart some kind of newness of life. And what does it impart? Well, I'm, I'm here to say that this type of intimacy gives birth first to identity. This type of intimacy gives birth to identity. What I mean by this is that Jesus is the son because God is his father. Don't drown in the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> okay, this isn't complicated. Jesus knows himself to be son because he knows God to be father. Jesus knows himself to be son because he knows God to be... What I'm saying is that the father... Hoodness? Is that a word? Fatherhoodness? Let's roll with it. The fatherhoodness of God, <laughs> that's a bad sentence, makes Jesus the owner of sonship. He relates to God as father, and so therefore he sees himself as son, because fathers produce sons. That's not to belittle any dudes in the room that only have daughters. That's not the point. Um, fathers produce sons. I'm looking at you, Alan. Uh, fathers <laughs> produce sons. Okay, the, 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 without a father, a son doesn't know who he is. This is part of the epidemic in our society. I'm not trying to get social here for a second, but, but we see this socially. I'm, I'm using it as an example. I'm not trying to preach social justice here, okay? Just track with me. One of the issues we see, one of the underlying problems that sociologists have been able to pinpoint is that, that without fathers, young men don't know how to become young men. I'm saying it's true spiritually as well. When we, when we try to relate to God but don't see him as father, we don't know how to be sons, and again, the, the New Testament does not give language for women to be called daughters. If you need that, that's fine. I'm just, I like the Bible. And I think there's an underlying reason we've shared this before, that because you're a son, you get to be an heir. In that society, women didn't get to be heirs, so that's why the New Testament, I believe, calls everybody in the kingdom sons of God. To be equally offensive, it calls everybody in the kingdom the bride of Christ, so equal opportunity offender, okay? So... What you see here is that because we, we see God as father, it produces within us the ability to see ourselves as his sons. And relating to God as father frees us from dogmatic fundamentalism. When we see God, okay, I, I've got it, I've got I so want us to get this, but I so want us to get this right. <laughs> When we see God, listen, as father and not as judge, Amen. then I get to see myself as a son, not as a plaintiff. Now, this is why I say we gotta get this right. Is God a judge? Yes. yes. But is that his chosen way of relating to us? 
No, he wants to relate to us his sons. By the way, just as an aside for all of the dogmatic fundamentalists that are like curling up your toes right now and want to come talk to me afterwards, your idea of a judge in the Bible, you, you, put, you, you, you see the guy right behind the, the, the big wooden desk with the gavel and the white wig and the big black robe, didn't exist in the first century. So you thinking I'm becoming liberal in my theology and abandoning the Bible, saying that God is a judge, has nothing to do with that. We're gonna talk, Jesus talks about judgment here, okay? We're gonna get there, we're gonna talk about judgment. But that is not the way that God chooses to relate to us. And I think one of the, the primary fundamental reasons why he doesn't is because if, if he's judged, then at best I get to be, I get to be paroled or pardoned. But if I'm a son, I get to eat out of his fridge. <laughs> One of my favorite Timothy Keller quotes, what sort of crazy person would think they have the right to walk into a king's kitchen and eat out of his fridge? His sons. <laughs> right? We, when, when, when that's, that's the way God's choosing to identify with us. And, and these, 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 these religious people get, get so angry. I love the progression. Did you see it? He breaks the Sabbath, they want to persecute him. He says he's a son of God, they want to kill him. Because it upends their whole religious system. And Jesus here is, he, he doesn't, in verse, in verse 19, you would assume he'd say, well, truly, truly, I say to you, you don't understand. See, I am God, and so that makes me, blah, blah. no, he just like doubles down. He's like, no, you see, I'm a son, he's the father. Whatever he does, he shows me, I do it too. In case they misunderstood what he meant, right? Like, no, I mean, I can do whatever God does. You see, Jesus didn't need the miracles or men. He didn't need signs or a system to tell him who he was. He knew. When he was baptized, what did he hear? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Through intimacy, he'd received identity. By the way, I love to share this every time I can. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What supernatural, spiritual, religious stuff had Jesus accomplished at this point in his life? Nothing. And yet, what does the father say? I'm well pleased with him. Before he does a miracle, before he heals anybody, before he shows any external signs of intimate obedience, I'm pleased with him. Let that sink into your heart for just a second. Outside of your, your ability to produce anything for God, he's pleased with you. That's the default heart of a father. This is where I have to eddy out for a second and say, if some of you had, had men who, who carried the title of father but didn't do the job of father, you, 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 you need to not superimpose their poor example of fatherhood onto the heart of God. And, and I'm gonna say something to you that I, I love you enough to say. I, I know some of you went through horrific, painful, disgusting, criminal behavior from men who claim to be fathers in your life. And they should be uh, punished, they should be held to justice, and they should be forced to make right whatever can be made right. And God had a purpose in that so that you would never look to human beings as your ultimate father. There's actually a gift hidden in that pain that will force you to the real heart of a real father, which is only found 
in the Father. The Father says, I'm well pleased with the Son. And so identity, Jesus' identity, came exclusively through intimacy. Exclusively through intimacy. And this identity then imparts an impervious security. You tracking with me? You got a, you got a few more steps you can track with me? Okay, so, so we said that intimacy, right, led to a, an identity. That identity then imparts to us an impervious security. What I mean is that when we know who we are exclusively through the lens of seeing him as father, we will know a security in all times. I mean in all occasions and regardless of outcome. I have a security that abides. Because my goal is intimacy with the Father, and I know who I am, and so therefore I have a stability, a security in my life. You see, this is, this is amazing to me, that Jesus can speak with absolute confidence because he possesses a security received through his identity born out of intimacy. He walks up to this man, he interacts with these religious leaders in complete security. He doesn't knee jerk, he doesn't, he doesn't get defensive, he doesn't try to clarify his position. <laughs> he doesn't try to manipulate or work around. My, my question for us is where, where do we look for security? Where does your security come from? Because we need, this is one of the fundamental needs of humanity is security. You get that, right? You need food, you need shelter, you need security. We need this. This isn't just some felt need that we don't really need, but we call it a need so that we feel better about, you know, doing horrible things to get our needs met. No, this is a real genuine need that we have. But when we fail to abide as sons with the Father, we look outside to other things for security. We look to our position, to our bank accounts, to governments, to relationships, to church, to religious activity, to, to, to social activism, to, to whatever we can. We, we try to grasp on all of these things for security. And here's the problem. Some, if not all of those things, are not bad. But we've talked about this before, so I'll say it again. Anytime we take a good thing and try to make it a God thing, it becomes an idol thing. And any good thing in your life can easily become an idol if you allow it to transfer from good to God. And I'm telling you, if you're looking for security in that thing, you have taken a good thing and made it a God thing. Anybody happy when your bank account is flush with cash enough that you can pay your rent? That's a good thing. I really like it when I can pay all my bills. If you've ever lived on the other side of that equation, you'd understand what I'm talking about. If not, bless your little heart. Um, that's a good thing. But if I'm trying to find my security in my bank account... How many of y'all know bank accounts go up, bank accounts go down? <laughs> Paul even said it. Paul, Paul, if, if there is such a thing as the center of God's will, I'm not sure I buy that verbiage, but if there is such a thing as the center of God's will, I think the apostle Paul got kind of close to it. Right? 
No human being has shaped human history more than Paul. The writings of Paul have shaped the way we think more than anything else in all of human history. That's not a religious statement, that's just a factual historical statement. God used Paul to write the vast majority of the New Testament, which has shaped human society more than any other document in the history of the world. Okay, so, so Christian or non-Christian, would, any historian would agree with that. Okay, so, so what, what I'm saying here is, is if, if, if there was a center of God's will, I think Paul got close to it. And Paul said, I've learned to live in abundance and with lack. So bank accounts go up and bank accounts go down, regardless of how spiritual you are. Okay, seasons of abundance, seasons of lack. That's, it's seasons, okay? If you put your security in your bank account, you'll be more secure when your bank account is up and less secure when it's down. That's not security, <laughs> Because for it to be security, it has to have stability. So where do you look for your security? See, if, if, if God is father, then I am son. And sons, come on, listen, sons do what the father does. Sons are about their father's business. And if I'm gonna do that, I have to have a security to be engaged in that business constantly, not sporadically. I can't, I can't be 50, 50. I'm saying this, that, that, that the security is, is imparted through the identity. Are you, are you tracking with me? That, 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 that the more uh, clearly, let me put it this way, the more uh, fully you see God as father and yourself as son, then the more complete your security will be. So when you start feeling insecure, when the bank account goes down, I'm here to tell you, I think either, you one of two answers, the, and I'm just using bank accounts because it's easy. Y'all track with me, right? I'm, your friend doesn't want to be your friend anymore. You lose your job. Your car breaks down. You get kicked out of your apartment. Uh, your body starts to fail, and you find out that you're going to struggle with a, a, an ailment for a season, whatever it might be. Let's just use bank accounts for the sake of consistency. If, if your bank account goes down and your security level drops in your heart, the, the, it's evidence of one of two things. Either you are finding your security in that bank account, or you are, are saying that God no longer finds me his son because he's taken away money from me. And you're questioning your sonship based upon your bank account. And I'm here to tell you that's probably why he's pulling money out of your bank account. Because you want to know how you're a son? He sends his spirit to abide within you to cry out, Abba, Father. That's how you know you're a son. Your heart, your desire is to relate to him now as father. That's the evidence of sonship, according to Romans. James actually tells us that if you're double-minded, if you think you're part son and part not son, that you shouldn't expect to receive anything from God <laughs> because he doesn't honor double-mindedness. And we've got to get out of this double-mindedness thing where we think, well, I'm partially a son and I'm partially a plaintiff. No, you're either one or the other. You don't get to be both. That was better than your response, but we're just going to move on. Um, <laughs> I love you. Only when we know this type of security will we experience the efficacy that we desire. You thought I forgot about effectiveness, didn't you? I didn't. 
See, it's only when we know that kind of security that we can know how to actually be effective in the way that we interact with and engage with the heart of God. Do you, do you see how effective the ministry of Jesus was in this guy's life? See, from a humanistic perspective, I take 38 years of this man's suffering as 38 years of evidence that this man's condition is incurable. Right? I mean, he's got a, a track record of this being the way that it is. We fall into the same thing. Well, this is just the way that it goes for me. This is just how it works. This is just sort of, it's, you know, this is my lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's my life. And, and this is just sort of the, the track record I'm on. And, and, you know, this is just the way it works for me. It's, it's other people have it better than me or worse than me, but this is just the way that it is for me. And I can prove it because this has been the way it's always been for me. I've always struggled with this. I've always had this ailment. I've always had this addiction. I always seem to lose my jobs. People always seem to leave me. I never seem to be able to meet deadlines. I always frustrate my bosses. I always fail when I say I'm gonna do good. I always seem to do bad. We, we fall into these things. And yet, Jesus speaks one sentence and one sentence outweighs 38 years of evidence. I don't know about you, but I'd call that effective. <laughs> that seems pretty effective to me. One sentence from Jesus puts an end to 38 years of suffering. Here's why. Jesus' words impart strength and mobility. Strength and mobility. I could, I could summarize capacity. Strength and mobility. He does, listen, I'm saying that Jesus' words did that for this man. I'm also here to tell you he, his words do that for you. I love this dude's response when the Jewish leaders come to him and say, like, you're not supposed to carry the mat. His response is, the dude who flipping healed me, he told me to pick up my mat and walk. His words, effective. Your words, not so much. Y'all been telling me to follow. I, I done finished my Sabbaths, okay? I had 38 years of them. I didn't carry nothing. He wants me to carry something. I'm going to carry something. <laughs> Did that's not how y'all read it? <laughs> and I was like, who is he? He's like, don't even know. Don't know, don't care. He said it. It worked. I'm just going to do what he says. Because when he speaks, something supernatural takes place. Not something spooky natural, something supernatural. An actual capacity to walk was imparted by Jesus speaking. That's what we're at. See, we all want to go after the, the effectiveness. How do, we, how do we get effective in this? And Jesus is saying, you, 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 are, you are missing the point. Summarize, land the plane. Intimacy gave birth to an awareness of his identity as the son, which in turn imparted security that produced the efficacy required to walk in partnership with the father. But where did it start? Intimacy. It started with intimacy. 
intimacy, to identity, to security, to efficacy. All, 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 so that we could walk in partnership with the Father. If that doesn't blow your mind, I got nothing else to sell you. The God of the universe is like, I don't need nothing, but I'd like to invite you to do everything I'm doing. I'd like to invite you to be a part of everything that I am doing in my creation. And the way that I'm going to get you there is I'm going to just invite you to eat out of my fridge. I'm going to flip this table and run around this room. Okay, like, like that, that, this is the whole point of why Jesus healed this man. Why did Jesus walk into a room filled with sick people, heal one dude and walk away? So he could have this conversation with religious leaders so you could read it today and actually realize that you've been invited into that same level of sonship. Yes, it's to prove that Jesus is God, absolutely. But that simple fact of information does nothing to transform my effectiveness if I don't realize that I'm invited into the same exact type of relationship with God. This is why I said to, that, that, that I have a, an abiding, longing, passionate desire to see more healing, signs, wonders, presence of God manifested in our midst. I long for that. I, I dream about that. I, I pray into that. It's what I long for. At the same time, I, I long to see a greater and deeper hunger for God's word in the heart and house of every single person connected with this, this, this body. I long that you would read it, that you would memorize it. I really long that you would live it. And above both of those things, I long that you would know him as father and yourself as son. And that that would actually fuel your desire to be in the word. And that that would actually fuel your desire to do whatever he's doing. You see, we, we've got to get this mindset out of our heads that God is just off in heaven, distant and waiting. No, he's present and active. And so intimacy with the Father does not look like uh, some sort of transcendental meditation where I try to ascend mentally into heaven and just sit idly with God. Intimacy with God looks like what Jesus said when he was 12 years old. I must be about my Father's business, which is spelled busyness. He's doing something, I gotta do something. We want to focus on effectiveness, but that's swapping root for fruit. It's swapping root for fruit. We, we, we just want to be all about effective, all about effective. That's a byproduct of abiding. That's a byproduct of just living in him and finding all of my identity and all of my security in him. Let's stand to our feet. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I, I need some of y'all to get this. You can't inherit 
or sorry, you can't earn an inheritance. You just have to be a son. You can't earn an inheritance. Family businesses are inherited, not earned. If you want to be a part of the father's business, you have to be a son. That's, that's the only, there's, there's no like other way around or into the thing. See, this is, we, we miss this culturally. Because at the time, that this is the way that, that training happened. Your dad had a job and you're a son, so, so you, you, you were trained to do the work of your father. This is where we get last names, right? Like, because it was just a family business. I know it's not that way anymore and I'm not advocating we return to that because I don't want to fly airplanes and you don't want me to fly airplanes. So my dad did. Nobody wants that. But this was the, the pattern at the time and so all Jesus is saying here is, look, don't be mad at me. Get mad at my dad. He's the one who's doing it. I'm just doing what I see my dad do. I'm just following in the family footsteps. This is, this is just what we do. So if you want to be a part of what he's doing, the path in is sonship. It's being a son. And sonship is a, okay, let me say it this way. Sonship is a birthright, but you have to be birthed right. <laughs> right? Um, so sonship is a birthright, but you have to be born right. So the first step is to be born right. In the first birth that we all had, none of us were born right. And so Jesus offers to us a new birth, a new beginning, a, a new creation. He offers us this metamorphic experience being transferred from life to death. We read it in the text, he gives life to whom he will. And so my prayer here today is that you would receive that new life. Listen, not that you would begin to believe in supernatural superstitions. Not that you would uh, begin to ascribe to some dogmatic fundamentalism. But that you would actually, really become something new. And the Bible says this happens quite simply, quite unmiraculously, this miracle takes place through the gift of repentance and belief. Repentance is just a fancy word that means to admit and abandon. We admit and abandon that we've looked everywhere else. Come on, for identity, for security, for, for effectiveness. We've looked everywhere else in relationships, in money, in sex, in drugs, in rock and roll, in whatever else. We've looked in all those places and we've come up empty. And then to abandon those things, to let go of all of those things. And by belief, we simply mean to embrace Jesus. So, so how, do you, how do you be born right? How do you be born again? You admit and abandon the sin in your life and you embrace Jesus. Again, I know, I wish it was more complicated. It's just not. And the Bible tells us that all of that is a gift that's given to us by the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. So if you're here 
as we begin to respond, we're gonna move into our response. I wanna, I wanna invite you to do that simple act of admit and abandon and embrace. You, you don't need me to teach you a prayer. You don't need to raise your hands so that I know you're here. We're not gonna ask everybody to, to close their head and bow their eyes. We're, we're, we're gonna, it was on purpose. We're gonna, um, I'm gonna invite you to have an encounter with God on your own where you are. Because that's what you need. We absolutely have people that would love to pray with you. And I'm gonna tell you the truth, I think it would be beneficial for you to let somebody pray with you. If you're going through that transformation, it's a good thing to stand with somebody and let them be there as you encounter God and help you along in that journey. We wanna do that, that's why. That's part of why we exist. We wanna help you along in that journey. So we're gonna have some people that are gonna be down in this lit area behind everybody so you can have some privacy, shock of all shock, and actually have an encounter with the Lord. And we would invite you to do that. We're also gonna respond through communion, through remembering the means by which this intimacy has been provided for us, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We are not invited into intimacy because we're just good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, God likes us. We're invited into intimacy because Jesus made a way where there was no way. In our own, there is no way for me to be, on my own, there's no way for me to be intimate with the Father, but Jesus has accomplished everything necessary to make a way for me to know that kind of unbroken, unbridled intimacy with the Father. And he did that through the obedient act of his broken body and shed blood, which we celebrate and remember in taking a piece of bread and dipping it in the cup. We do have gluten-free wafers at all the stations, a fully gluten-free station all the way down there. It's down there so you're close to people who would love to pray for you so you can eat gluten. joke. Um, they, they would also love to stand and pray with you if you have any need whatsoever. And, and I, I want to just, last thing, I want to just ask a question that I think Jesus is asking because it makes me uncomfortable to ask it. I want to talk to the sons of God in the room this morning. I want to talk to the bride of Christ in the room this morning. And I want to ask you a simple question. How's your love life? How's your intimacy with him? Is it sporadic? Is it kind of on the back burner? Is it kind of just sort of being put off for another season that's less busy? Has it been choked out? This, I feel like, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I feel like for some of you, the, 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 the intimacy, the love is being choked out by obedience. You're so busy doing what you think he wants you to do that you forgot that he wants you to do it with him that it's an invitation to be with him. For some of you, I'm gonna be honest, I get the, the sense from the Lord that, no, for you, it's, it's just all about right now. It, it, as long as it feels good, that's all you're really after. It's all you need. Don't, do, don't, don't change anything in me. Don't offend anything in me. Don't impart any sort of actual life in me that might take on a life of its own and cause me to have to transform my behavior. Leave me the way I am. That's not the purpose of intimacy with him. He wants to impart life in you. He wants to, he wants to impart identity into you. He wants to impart security into you. Yeah, he wants to impart an efficacy into you that you can be a partner in all that he's doing. 
So as we respond, if, if you would be honest and say, yeah, my, my, my love life's got some issues. I wanna encourage you just like I encourage those. You, you, can, you can do this on your own, in your own seat, by yourself, you and the Holy Spirit, that's all you need, sure. But there's a blessing of the body and they would love to stand with you and pray with you and believe with you and ask God to meet you. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna respond. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning that you invite us into intimacy. That not only do you invite us, but you've actually, you've accomplished everything necessary so that we can be with you always and in all ways. That you offer to us a, a partnership, a role to play in what you're doing in and through the earth today. God, that is miraculous and truly scandalous. For those here, God, who have let that love grow cold, God, would you reignite that passion in their heart again? For those that do not know sonship, God, would you grant repentance and faith today? That they might know you, that you might dwell in them and love yourself more through them. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.